Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. Good morning. Happy New Year. How are you? All right, let's go. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we are going to be this morning. Several of you texted me this week and said, I'm so looking forward to starting Romans. And I said, me too, but actually it's going to be next week. Uh, January 8th, we're going to begin our long trek through the greatest letter ever written, Paul's letter to the Roman church. Don't laugh. No, that's really, it really is the greatest letter ever written. And I'm looking forward to that. But this morning, we're going to be in Paul's prayer to the Ephesians in Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. And uh, it is my custom to take prayers in the Bible, Psalms, from the beginning of Paul's letters at the end of one year and the beginning of the next to, to pray these things for myself and for us as a church. And so I want us to work through Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23, where Paul prays. And I'm going to uh, speak about four prayers from this text for us as a church family. Now, as Reynolds mentioned earlier, um, if you got little ones, we're starting children's ministry back up in full swing next Sunday. So we realize they're in here. If they're fussy, it doesn't bother me at all. In fact, my wife can tell you, I actually am quite gifted in ignoring fussing children. <laughs> it's just... This is a spiritual gift that I've developed over the years, and I'm, I'm really, I'm quite good at it. Um, yeah, easy now. Yeah, she, there was an amen there from the peanut gallery. Um, well, as we uh, look at Ephesians 1, let me just update you. Uh, Sarah Joy Ward is home from the hospital. Praise God. She came home from Scottish Rite yesterday, and so the wards are settling in with Sarah Joy at home. And uh, little Penelope Elliston is doing well as well. I believe she's still in the hospital up in Boston, but um, is recovering from a few little things. But I believe that the surgery, the surgeries that she has had on her heart are going well. And so continue to pray for the Elliston and the Ward families as they, as they care for their, their newborn baby girls. All right, well, let me, let me read um, Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15, and then we're going to work our way back through it. And look at four prayers for Crosspoint for 2015. And excuse my scratchy voice. Um, I've got a little... I have, I have not um, started smoking cigars uh, in, in, in uh, admiration of Spurgeon. I think I just have a scratchy throat. So let me read Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills 
all in all. Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, thank you for your word that you have inspired your people to write, in particular the Apostle Paul, to write this letter to the Ephesians. Thank you for this passage and this prayer that you inspired the Apostle to, to put down into words. And we know that your Holy Spirit has inspired him to write these words, and your Spirit works with your word to bring about your will as it opens up our eyes to the knowledge of your Son As we gather together on this first Sunday of this new year, Lord, I pray that you would lift our eyes and strengthen us and encourage us. And and I pray that these things that Paul has prayed for the Ephesian church, that we would pray for ourselves today and that you would do wonderful things for your namesake and for our good in this upcoming year. Lord, I pray that Christians would be encouraged and strengthened and convicted and spurred on as a result of our time worshiping together. I pray that any unbelievers that are present in this room might by your sovereign grace hear the words of life and turn from death to life, that you would give them a new heart that they could believe this morning. And I pray for our sister churches in our city, the churches in our town that are preaching the gospel. We thank you for them and we pray that you might give them a wonderful, fruitful time as they gather together and draw your people, save people this morning all across our city. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So four prayers that I see from Paul's words to the Ephesians here in the second half of Ephesians chapter 1. And the first thing that I want us to see, the first prayer that I want to pray for us as a church is this, that we would love one another more deeply. Look again at verses 15 and 16. Paul says, after he ends this, this really remarkable opening to Ephesians. In fact, this is a, a passage that I think you should just know well that you should read often. Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 14, which is this incredible opening statement about the glory of God and his plan for all things and bringing a people to himself through his son. It's this opening doxology, this opening praise of God's sovereign grace in all things. And then he transitions to give thanks to the Ephesians because he, as it says in verses 15 and 16, has heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love toward all the saints. And for that reason, he doesn't cease to give thanks for them. And as I think about our church, I want us to continue to grow in our love for one another. And I And that is in no way a sense that I think that this is waning or not evident. In fact, one of the things that I was just thinking this week about our church and about these 11, almost 12 years together now that we have been a church, this this April of 2017 will be our 12-year anniversary as a church. And I give thanks for the sincere love that exists in this church. I was thinking about this. Occasionally, I meet with other pastors, um, and um, it's, it's always encouraging to hear about the work of the Lord in our city and other places, but I hear oftentimes about maybe problems that they are facing and challenges that they are facing, and, and maybe uh, there's factions within the church that are you know, pitted against one another, and I'm just always reminded of the grace that God has given us as a church. Now, to be sure, there are certainly problems and situations that, that, that we need to grow in and become more healthy in. But I thank God that there are 
they were really devoid of some of the, the politics that sometimes can, can grip a church and, and gunk up the gears, so to speak, as that church tries to accomplish its mission. I give thanks for the love and the sincerity that, that really is the culture of this church. And I pray that as we look at this upcoming year that, that we would be mindful of God's grace to us in that area and that we would want to do it more. Listen to what Paul writes to another church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. So notice what Paul is saying there, is that our gathering together as a church, he's speaking to the Thessalonians here, is not just the exchange of knowledge. We're not just sharing truth. We're not just coming to exchange information and know a certain set of facts. But we're coming because of this fact of the gospel of God to open up our lives and share it with one another and to give ourselves to one another. And I pray that that would, would take root and grow in, in, in our church, even to a greater degree. As I was thinking about loving one another more deeply as a church, I, I thought about some of the challenges of, of a church like ours that is young and that, it, that is, to, to a, a large degree, growing. We are always expanding and contracting. And I think by nature of the demographic of our congregation, there's always new people coming. In fact, just this last spring, uh, this past May, we lost, just by virtue of the United States Army, thank you, Uncle Sam, we lost through PCS, permanent change of station, people transferring on from Fort Benning, we lost basically in like a week, 60 members. They were just gone. They just, just see you. And, and we got a whole bunch of new people from Fort Benning coming in, and we live in a bit of a transient culture anyway, and we're always expanding and contracting. And, and praise God for that. Praise God that the United States Army, that the budget of the United States actually unwittingly is like funding a missions sending agency. They're sending these people out to other posts that are, are enriched with the gospel, and they go as missionaries. But we... We are always in, a, it seems like, a time of flux. And one way that I thought about we could continue to love another more, one another more deeply in this upcoming year is to always keep on our mind the priority of life together as a church family. As a church begins to grow and get kind of settled and um, you know, established, and we're, we've, we've sort of arrived at that place 12 years in. I used to kind of wonder, are we going to make it now, like 12 years in, and I kind of feel like Crosspoint's kind of, I guess, I guess we're going to kind of make it, you know, we're going to be okay, we're not going to shut down the place because we don't have the money to pay the lights. Now that we're at this place of kind of becoming a church that is established, I pray that we continue to continually prioritize our life together as a church family, and that as we can expand and contract and grow and lose people for various reasons moving on, that we have this sort of outward and strangely inward focus where we care for one another. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 12 about a culture that loves one another because of the gospel. He says in, a, in Romans 12, verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor 
what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So as we look at this upcoming year, just what would it be like? What, how, how can I, how can each of us love our church family more deeply this year? How can the way we do life together as a local church actually commend the gospel that we preach and speak and believe? Can we do that in a, in a deeper way? And, and praise God, I think, I think this scripture calls us to do that, that we would love one another more deeply. The second prayer that I have for us as a result of reading and thinking about this text is that we would grow in our knowledge of him. Look at verses 17 and 18 again. So he says in this prayer for them, he's praying for them, thanking them for their love for one another. And then he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now what's interesting about this, this word knowledge here, we tend to think of it kind of flatly in English as if knowledge is just like the accumulation of facts. And certainly that is embedded in that word, but this word actually means more than that. It speaks to not just knowing something, but the knowing of this thing actually affecting your heart and the way that you live. And Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is that as a result of their life together in this local church, that they would grow in their knowledge of God. Now, we live in a time that is dominated by feelings. And feelings are not, not a bad thing. In fact, they're very good. We feel because we are made in the image of God and God feels. But our feelings must be grounded in something real, something true, the objective knowledge of what the Word of God teaches. And my burden for us this year, and this is one of the reasons that I'm so looking forward to Romans, is that Romans is, it's kind of like the, the Magna Carta of Paul's doctrine of Christ and his gospel in the New Testament. It, it doesn't say everything that there is to know about doctrine and knowledge and truth in the New Testament, but it is the most comprehensive statement of the explanation of the goodness of God in his son in one letter or one book in the whole Bible. And so as we look at, as we work through Romans in this upcoming year, and some of you have asked, is Romans going to take us all year? Oh, friend, at least. <laughs> and we'll maybe take a break along the way and, you know, come up for air. Or maybe over the summer and do a few other little things. But we will be in Romans for a while. And one of the things that I'm excited about is Romans is, is in a sense, a kind of assault on our minds to grapple with the reality of the good news of what God has done to save a people for himself and then all of the implications about how that good news of the gospel touches every area 
of life. And week after week, it will be a kind of reverberation of the knowledge and the centrality of the message of the good news of God, which is the message of the Bible. And and we need to know that in a culture that is dominated by feelings, it's dominated by subjective truth and pluralism, we need the steel rod of the knowledge of who God is and who we are in light of Him in order to guide and govern our lives by that that great truth. I want us to grow in our knowledge of God. So a question would be, how can we, how can I, how can you, beyond just coming Sundays and hearing Romans, I mean, that's just one tiny little fraction of our lives, how can we take personal responsibility to grow, to set knowing God more as a priority in our lives this upcoming year. Can I encourage us not to be passive? Can I, can I encourage you to think about, to spend some time, if you haven't already, about how you are going to engage God in a deeper way, whether it be maybe through something just even as, as kind of physical and, and logistical as a, a Bible reading plan, or maybe a Bible study to be part of, or maybe meeting with a friend in this first quarter of this year to just read some scripture together and encourage one another. Praise God for the American Christian publishing like industry, but what did Christians do before America's publishing industry? What did they do before there were books at Lifeway and Crossway and on Amazon? Well, how did people grow spiritually before they had resource rooms? Well, they gathered together and they opened up God's word and they read it to one another and they encouraged one another. And all of us in this room are equipped to do that. So maybe one resolution, if you're into that, is just take it in bite-sized chunks and say, you know what, for the first quarter of 2017, I am going to meet with a brother or sister in this room. If you're a brother, a brother. If you're a sister, a sister. If you're some young guy and you see some cute girl, don't say, hey, baby, God has called me to read the Bible with you. And just stop it. Don't. Be chivalrous. Ask her, do it right. Ask her out on a date. And don't try and be super. Don't give her the Jesus juke. But if you, maybe a resolution might be that you would get together with a brother or sister and, and simply read through Paul's letters to the Ephesians and the Colossians and the Philippians or read through one of the Gospels or read through a psalm together and encourage one another. Every person in this room that knows Christ is equipped to do that and to edify another believer. Praise God that we would have this great privilege to know him better through his word, and that we wouldn't just be people that know more about God, but then that knowing would produce in us this life and heart to experience God more, that what we know in our head would affect our heart, and what we feel in our heart would compel what we do with our hands, our head, our heart, and our hands all growing in the knowledge and obedience to God. Thirdly, we would know that we know the hope to which we've been called. Look at verse 18 again back in Ephesians 1. After Paul prays and thanks them for their love for one another and he wants them to grow in their knowledge, notice that this knowledge actually is going somewhere. It's wanting to produce 
Paul's wanting it to produce something in them. So verse 18, he says, after you've come to this deeper knowledge of him, I pray that you would have the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I pray that as we look at this upcoming year that we, we would be infused with hope, that we would be grounded, that we would live a life motivated as we lean forward into the hope to which God has called us. Now, again, thinking about our culture, I think it's obvious that we live in a time that is really good at being discouraged. Uh, I think part of this is because it just sort of, it sells. Um, Just even think about how people have been talking about what a bad year 2016 was. Now, why are people talking about what a bad year 2016 was? Well, maybe because of a bad political campaign and maybe somebody got elected president that they didn't like, but basically because a few noteworthy famous people died towards the end of the year. That's it. And so now everybody is acting like, not everybody, like a lot of people are acting like 2016 was such a a horrible year. And we just sort of live in this culture that talks about this all the time, and it can actually affect, and it can cause us to sort of forget eternity and reality and forget the gospel and just live in a malaise of discouragement. But Paul is saying here, no, no, lift your eyes and understand and remember the hope to which God has called you. And by the way, as you're remembering the hope to which he's called you, think about what the Bible promises you about every year. It promises us this. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that you are experiencing as though something strange were happening to you. Paul says in Romans 8 (coughs) that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. So listen, if you thought 2016 was a bad year, well, to some degree, it's been bad since Genesis 3. And when we act surprised (laughs) at a presidential election or you know, a music icon dying as if that has any effect on the hope and the inheritance of us as Christians. We lie about the reality of the gospel. And Paul wants us to remember the hope to which we have been called. Um, Now, you guys, since, remember a couple months ago, I, I, I can't remember what text we were looking at, but I I think we were in First Timothy, and I was talking about the, the command that Timothy um, gives young pastors there to preach the word, and I was talking about preaching, so I was kind of, in a sense, preaching about preaching, and one of the things that I mentioned is that, um, that it would be one of the ways that you, we can, you can kind of serve the preached word and even encourage me is, is um, to give specific feedback to preachers and teachers about ways that whatever was spoke that day encouraged you. And, and I've been really encouraged as you have these past few months, people have been telling me these ways that God has encouraged them through the preached word here at Crosspoint. And I think that the, the comment that I have received more than any other was something 
Um, it was actually it wasn't even a, a doctrinal truth. It was just kind of a personal confession. A couple months ago, I mentioned how uh, so often as I look at my own heart, I am a bit shocked at how often I live like a, a functional atheist. And I just confess that so often I just kind of get going through life and things that shouldn't really like cause me to be anxious or fearful sort of knock me off my horse a little bit, so to speak. And, and uh, I, I realize just how often I act as if there really is no hope and how, how frail emotionally I can still be even though I'm a, a middle-aged man, <laughs> right, that should, should have a little bit more grit underneath his spiritual, um, you know, calluses built up in his spiritual hands, so to speak. And, and I think of all the feedback that I got this past year, so many of you were encouraged by that, that you're like, yes, I, I feel like that as, as well so often. And this, this passage here where Paul says, I want you to know the hope to which you've been called is an antidote to my gospel amnesia. It reminds me that no matter what I may be facing in this moment, there is a certain and sure reality that God has called us to that, ca- that will enable us to weather any storm. Listen to what, first, what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. Just a few verses here. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Embedded in that one sentence is the glory of the gospel. That means that all of us were sinners. We were dead in our sins. That's why we needed to be born again. And how did God accomplish this bringing back to life or this being born again in the lives of his people? He caused Jesus to become a man, his son, the eternal son of God, holy in all of his ways, perfect in all of his ways, with God from the beginning, no beginning, no end, the creator of the universe himself, in fact, Jesus, the son of God, through whom he created the world, Colossians 1 says, became a man, so the eternally holy second person of the Trinity, Jesus, becomes a man, takes on the likeness of sinful flesh like we all have, but without sin, completely obedient to God, causes Jesus, enables Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to live a completely obedient life where we have all rebelled, then Jesus lays down his life on the cross to bear the punishment and wrath of God that should have been ours. And because Jesus isn't just a good and perfect human, but he's the eternal son of God, his holiness is enough to satisfy and extinguish all of God's wrath. He removes it, he takes it away, and then he gives us his righteousness, and rises again in victory over sin, death, and the grave. And then because he is king and sovereign over life and death, can actually make people come to life spiritually. That's what that is saying there. That Jesus, that God, through the victory of his son Jesus over death, life, and the grave, causes us to be born again. In other words, he takes dead people who can't do anything and he makes them alive through the victory of his son over death, hell, and the grave. <laughs> That's what that verse is saying. 
And in light of that, by the way, that's the gospel. That's the most important news in the universe. If you're a Christian, that's what's happened to you. If you're not a Christian, that's the only thing that can give you hope that God would do that to you. How does he do that? He awakens your soul to the reality of that fact, that news, and he gives you faith so that you can turn away from yourself and put your hope in Jesus and be his. And because of that gospel, looked in what he says there, in light of that, if he's going to do all of that, is he just going to let you flap in the wind And is he going to let your future be uncertain? No. What does he call us to? Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, You've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." I mean, man, that's a good passage. That's worth memorizing in 2017. That's the gospel. That's the Christian life. God, if you're a Christian, has caused you to be born again through the eternal son and his sacrifice on the cross, and he's called you to this inheritance which cannot fade away. And that inheritance grounds you in this reality that no matter what trial you're facing in this moment... Your future is sure and certain. Therefore, keep your head down and keep walking. (laughs) That's a hope. That's the hope that we have been called to. And I pray that God would root that in our lives in such a deeper way that he would ground us in that in a deeper way in this upcoming year so that I wouldn't be so emotionally fragile. So that I wouldn't be such a whiny little child of God in light of this great reality that God has called us to and is guaranteed. Which then brings us to the last prayer that I have for us in Ephesians that Paul has for us, for the church. And it's that we would rest, in light of that, that we would rest in his sovereign goodness. Look at verse 19. This hope produces in us this great steadfastness. And he says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things, all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If Christ is right now reigning, sovereign, supreme over all things, but yet all things still 
are seemingly disobeying him and causing chaos and havoc in his world, then it must be that he has a plan and purpose in allowing the continued rebellion of part of his creation because it is part of his process by which he is working out all things for the ultimate supreme glory of his name and the good of his people. And we can rest in that. That this, that this reality that the end of Ephesians 1 points us to is sure and certain. And he is doing as He reigns supreme. And he is coming again. And he will finally and fully right every wrong and fill every valley and level every mountain. And we can rest in his sovereign goodness. That's why we can give our lives away for the sake of the gospel. That's why this sweet couple can say, we're going to go to another part of the world where it's dangerous because there's something worth more than just our comfort. And we are serving a God who has our lives and the very numbers of our hairs and the length of our days in his hand. We're going to give ourselves away because God can be trusted. The future is unpredictable. Some of us in 2017 will face great joy. There will be marriages. There will be births. There will be new jobs. There will be great things. Some of us in 2017 will face great trials. There will be unexpected illnesses. There will be unexpected deaths. There will be struggles with besetting sin that will threaten to undo us. All of those things, as powerful as they may feel in the moment, are part of the all things that are underneath the feet of our sovereign, victorious king. And so as a benediction on 2016 and a look forward to 2017, let me read from a chapter that you should be familiar with by now. Romans chapter 8. What then... Shall we say to these things, verse 31, listen to this, listen to this truth. Don't, don't let my silliness about Romans 8 and how I'd say it's the best chapter in the world, even though it is, don't, don't, let, don't let that make Romans 8 cute to you. Let Romans 8 put steel in your spine. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more 
than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the grace of the gospel that takes our failures of 2016 and removes them as far as the east is to the west. And thank you for the grace of the gospel that looks forward to 2017 and empowers us to in light of the truth of the inheritance to which we've been called, puts steel in our spines to live this way. Lord, may we love one another more deeply this year. May we grow in our knowledge of you. May we anchor ourselves in the hope to which you've called us. And may we lean forward into the future because you are sovereign and you have put all things under the feet of your son, King Jesus, who, as one theologian said, scans out over the universe and looks over all things, and there's nothing over which he does not rightly cry, Mine. Lord, we lean forward in that good news, with that hope, for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, as the team comes back to lead us, let's all stand together and sing together this great song that we've been singing these past few weeks, All Glory Be to Christ.